Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Choose life. That is the message of Deuteronomy. That's the key message he wants Israel to take with them as they cross the Jordan River and encounter all the challenges and joys and blessings and all that's to come over the other side. And so as we uh, come to God's Word and consider this topic, choose life, what it means to choose life for Israel, what it means for us to choose life as God's people today, let's pray. Lord God, uh, we, we thank you for life, we thank you for today and the rain that we've uh, been blessed with, this life-giving rain that reminds us you are the giver of life. We've done nothing to deserve that rain, yet you choose to give it to us. And so even today we're reminded life is a gift. And Lord, uh, we, we pray today as we consider the gift of life, as we give thanks to you, as we consider what it means to choose life, may your spirit guide us and grow us. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, we'll see how we go. There might be a time for a couple of questions or, or reflections afterwards as well. So as we're going through it, if something's on your heart, hold on to it and maybe we can chat about it at the end. But uh, in verse 19 of this chapter, of chapter 30, Moses says these words. He says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. But for me, this, this raises a bunch of questions, I think. How does one actually choose life? And and why would anyone not choose life? It doesn't seem like really much of a choice. Is this a a one-off choice or is this a choice to be made each and every day? And what is this life that Israel is supposed to be choosing? What What does it look like? Where does it come from and where can they find it? But there's another question that, that, that this raises for me as well, and it was raised this morning at Alive at Nine, where a video was sh- shown of a young man named Sejun. It's the, it was a video by Voice of the Martyrs, and he is a young man who's, who, who's grown up and was given to a Buddhist monastery in his hometown by his family, where he was beaten, he fled, then his family abandoned him, and he came to know well, as he came to know Jesus through one of the school teachers he encountered, his family then abandoned him and his days looked like receiving beatings and whiplashes from his own family, being cast out of home and having nowhere to live. And uh, one of the, the reasons why, I, the reason I raised that picture is because Scripture would tell us that Sejun had chosen life, but the life in choosing life, his actual day-to-day experience looked very much not like life. It looked like pain. It looked like grief. 
It looked like suffering. And so whatever we say about choosing life, it has to be something bigger than just what we see with our eyes. It has to, has to be something that can cope with the fact that life with Jesus can actually look like the cross sometimes. And so, look, there's lots of questions that I think that this passage raises, and we're not going to satisfy all of them today, but I'd like to work through this passage by asking three questions of it. What is life? Where can life be found? And how does one actually choose life? So, when when Moses says to the people to choose life, what, what is this life that he's talking about? I think we get a bit of a description in the second half of verse 16 where Moses says, it says to Israel, you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. And then it's fleshed out a bit further in verses 19 and 20 where he says, so that you and your children, generations, may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. It's amazing how often in Deuteronomy, head, ears and hands keep coming up over and over again as things we use to respond to God. And, and these words, I think, really describe what Moses means when he says to choose life. So we might imagine Moses being like a painter here, standing up before the throng of Israel with a canvas. And on that canvas, he's, he's painting a picture of what life is might look like in the promised land. So, so what does he paint? Well, he, he, he paints a picture of this vast nation increasing day by day as the people flourish in their relationships with each other. He paints a picture where family life is strong and life gives birth to more life. He paints a picture of flourishing and blessing in a land, in a place, of rich pastures and abundance of food. He paints a picture of well-watered lands and green fields and of future generations, many generations living at peace in the midst of other nations. And, and he paints a picture of the entirety of Israel gathered together in worship of the one true God, a people whose hearts are full of love and thankfulness to their God of abundant goodness, whose ears are always ready to listen, and whose hands are ready to obey and cling to Him as their hope. This, Moses says, looking at his painted canvas, this is life, Israel. This is what's in store for you. This is the life you are to choose, the life that God is offering you across the Jordan River. If I was asked, if I asked you to come up and paint on a canvas a picture of life, what would you draw? Or if I had a giant canvas up the front and we all came up and added to that picture what we consider life to be, what would it look like? Would it look something like what Moses paints? Well, maybe. But, but let me suggest a couple of ways that I think our pictures would differ. Firstly, I suspect that our pictures would be much more me-centred. 
rather than drawing a, a picture of a whole society flourishing. And rather than being looking into the future, the generations to come, we'd probably draw pictures of our family, our house, our garden. We tend to picture life individualistically, not communally. And I wonder too, how much would God feature in the pictures that we would paint? But for Moses, God is at the centre of this picture, at the centre of life. In, in verse 20, Moses says, for the Lord is your life. And that's really the key verse here. The Lord is your life. The, the, the reason I, I, I ask these questions and consider, ask you to consider what you would draw is to simply point out that the picture we have of life, we, we all have a picture of life in our heads. And it comes out in our conversations, in the things we prioritise. But the picture that we hold in our heads is maybe quite different to what Scripture describes as life. And this, this passage should challenge us to reassess what we understand life to be about, what we understand life to be. I wonder sometimes whether my picture of life is more formed by the culture and the world that I live in than by God's description of what life is truly like. <clears throat> so if this, if this kind of picture that Moses paints here is life, well, where can it be found? Well, from the beginning, we learn that life was brought into being by the God who is life. But, but more specifically, it's through His words that life springs into being. When God speaks, life happens. That's what we see in Scripture. When God speaks, life happens. And, and Moses takes great pains to explain to the people that God's words of life, these words that bring life, they're, they're not confusing, they're not hidden away under rocks for you to find. You don't have to be some sort of angel or divine being to transcend into hev the heavens to find them. You don't have to travel to faraway nations across the seas to dig them up. He says, God has brought you, Israel, his words of life, and he's spoken them to you over and over again. He's been doing it for 30 chapters of Deuteronomy. But he's also asked you to written, he's also written them down for you. He's asked you to attach them to your foreheads and to write them on your door frames. He's established priests to speak these words every day and remind you of them. From the moment you wake, Israel, to the moment you sleep, these words of life will be with you. They'll be beside you. They'll be upon you. They'll be in your hearts and in your memories. So, so Israel was to be a nation governed by words of life. Words have power. And we all experience this. Precious words in cherished letters from friends or families, when we read back over those letters, they have the power to uplift our spirits and change the way we see ourselves. Hurtful words, even ones spoken long ago that should be a distant memory, we still remember them like yesterday and feel the, the pangs of pain at recalling them. 
So words can create and reignite passions. Words can make a memory come alive again. Words can create whole imaginary worlds in the hands of a gifted author. And that's just human words. God's words literally fling stars into space and turn chaos into order. God's words give breath to clay and birth light into darkness. And as Moses speaks his final words before Israel, he tells them, God's words to you, they even have the power to bring you life here and now in this moment. Listen again to what Moses says to the people. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to, to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. And so in response to the question, where can life be found? Moses says, in God and in his words of life. For Israel, the law of God was life. The words spoken through Deuteronomy that gave guidance and rules for family life, relationships, worship, agriculture, care for the poor, justice, etc. They were all words that would bring about the life that Moses painted if they were heard and obeyed. Now this is really difficult, I think, for us to understand in our world today. Because in a society that champions... Uh, self-expression that champions personal choice. The idea of law being life-giving is quite foreign to us. Rather, we tend to think of law as being somewhat maybe oppressive or restrictive because we've idolised personal choice. But God's words of life, His law is not described like that at all in Scripture. God's Law is meant to bring life to Israel. And, and we need to remember, the giving of the law is the second part of a freedom story that extends from Exodus through to Deuteronomy. Sometimes I think we think of it like this, that Exodus is the story of Israel being set freed, and then the law is like God saying, and now you've got to do this. No, no it's all one freedom story of God giving life to Israel. And it's just the second part of that story. Without the law, the story of Israel finishes with them freed from Egypt, but still stuck in the limbo of wilderness without ever knowing who they're actually going to become. And so this new life for Israel in the promised land is not merely about being freed from Egypt, but being freed to become the people of God. And they would need God's words of life to become that. That brings us to our final question. How does one choose life? Well, I think there's two parts to that question, two parts to the answer. The first part of the answer is this. Israel don't choose life. We don't choose life. And that might seem contradictory to what Moses is saying, so let me explain. 
Moses has made it quite clear throughout the book of Deuteronomy that Israel are a stubborn, disobedient and recalcitrant bunch of people. You might remember these words from Deuteronomy 9. It's not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. And we need to understand that all through Israel's story up until this point, they have already been receiving life. God has rescued them, he's protected them, he's guided them, he's revealed himself to them, and now he's about to lead them into the fruitful land of promise. Israel have received life and they are about to again. But, but up until this point in the story, Israel has not chosen life. Life has chosen them. The God of life has chosen them. And so life, first and foremost, always is a gift. But the second part of the answer to that question, how does one choose life, I think is this. As a people who have been graciously gifted life, so they were now called to continue choosing life each and every day. Not as a duty to earn life, they already had it, but as a thankful response to the grace of God. Christopher Wright says this, The Israelites were not told to keep the law so that God might save them and that they could be his people. He already had and they already were. Rather, he delivered them and made them his people and then called them to keep his law so that obedience is a response to God's grace, not a means of achieving it. Having said that, I also want to make it clear how Israel were to live in the promised land really mattered. Just because they had already been gifted life didn't mean that their actions suddenly ceased to have consequences, didn't mean that they could now just sit back and lap it all up. They had been gifted life, but now they had a daily choice to continue walking in ways that would either bring life or or ways that would crush life. You might imagine it like this, God had gifted Israel this, this beautiful but delicate sapling of life. It was theirs to keep to enjoy, to embrace and to nurture and then to share with others. But there's a risk with giving such a beautiful gift. It can also be crushed through folly or ignorance or hate. Part of the gift of life given to Israel was a responsibility to nurture that gift that it might grow and spread. And so each day, Israel were to look again upon that precious gift, give thanks to God, and choose life again. Let me say that again because I think that's still what we're called to do as God's people today. Each day, to look upon the gift of life, give thanks to God, and choose life again. As we move into the New Testament and and what this means for us today, 
I want to reflect on that passage from John 5 that we heard earlier and see the, try and see the connections here between Deuteronomy and what Jesus says. So Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has life, has eternal life, and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death into life. So what we find in the New Testament, and what Jesus is saying here, is that God's word of life, God's words of life, have taken on flesh in the living, breathing, speaking person of Jesus. And so, just as God's law had the power to bring life to Israel, so Jesus' words are able to bring life to us, bring life to this present moment. Jesus even says that, that to hear and believe his words, it, it's to have already crossed over from death to life. There's some sort of profound change that takes place when we hear and believe Jesus' words. We enter into life, just like Israel crossed over the Jordan to receive the life freely gifted them by God. And, and so all of our questions, what is life? Where can life be found? How does one choose life? They, they take on new meaning when we meet Jesus. Because life is not to step across a river into the nation of Israel, but to enter the kingdom of God, to become children of God, and to receive the life offered within. We also find that the, that the life isn't found etched on stone tablets or, or, or words etched onto door frames, but in the person and the words of Jesus himself. And we choose life by first receiving the grace of Jesus and then continuing to choose life as we daily take up our cross and follow him. And so the call of Moses to choose life is a call that Jesus also extends to us, but it takes on new meaning in the kingdom of Jesus and the age of the Holy Spirit. So what might it mean for us to choose life today? Let's uh, explore a couple of responses. Firstly, uh, as we've already mentioned, choosing life is first and foremost not a choice. Life was first birthed in creation though God had no obligation to do so, and creation was powerless to deserve it. It didn't exist. And so the, the very existence of life has always and always will be an act of grace. And the gift of life extended to us by Jesus, it's not a cause and effect relationship. And sometimes reading these words of Deuteronomy, it almost sounds like this cause and effect relationship. You do this, you'll receive this. But when we look at it in a bigger story, we see God's already been gifting life freely. And so, we did not choose life. Israel did not choose life. And so, to choose life is firstly to simply open our hands and receive with thanks. And that might sound ridiculously easy. But to open our hands and receive such a gift from God is to enter into relationship with Him. It's first of all to acknowledge His existence. 
It's to say the life you offer God is better than any life I can possibly achieve for myself. It's to enter into covenant with the God of the universe and bind ourselves to him in love. It's to let go of the old self and become a new creation that belongs to the kingdom of God. And if we have fallen deeply in love with the life that we choose for ourselves, there's a cost to receiving this gift. Maybe opening up our hands in thankfulness is harder than we think. Maybe that alone requires some pretty extensive heart renovation by the Spirit of God. But to choose life also means to continue choosing life. I don't think we we think very often about the idea of choosing life. Certainly, I, I don't... I don't often wake up in the morning and think, well, today I'm going to choose life. It feels from my experience like life is just kind of something that happens between waking and sleeping. And when I think about life, I often think about the, the what of life. You know, the job, getting the kids to sport activities, the meal times, the haircuts, the gardening. Life is often perceived as a series of activities that fill our day, moments that come and go in the blink of an eye. But it would seem that when Jesus speaks about life, he has something rather different in mind. Perhaps true life is less about the what and more about the how. Perhaps to truly live is about the heart and manner that we approach the moments of life with. How will I conduct my job? How will I treat and lead my children in in faithfulness? How will I serve others at mealtimes? How will I nurture the garden with thankfulness to God? In Romans 8, Paul talks about life in the kingdom of God being about living with the Spirit, guiding our thoughts, words and actions. And the life of the Spirit births fruit that's much more concerned with the how than the what. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Now, no doubt this will impact the what of life as well, the the choices that we make, the, the priorities that we have. But to choose life is to daily choose to listen to God and his words that call us into a life that's much more than just a a mere collection of moments. Rather, the life that God calls us towards is a life of purpose and meaning that's directed towards a trajectory of receiving life from God and extending that to others. Finally, choosing life is to be given responsibility to nurture life. Even though we have received life and God is faithful, our actions have consequences. Receiving the grace of God doesn't mean we seek to ha- cease to have agency in the world. We can live in ways that nurture life or that crush life. To receive 
life from Jesus is to experience life in a new way. Life with Jesus is a life where hope abounds even in the darkest periods of lament and grief. Life with Jesus is a life where even in the depths of loneliness we are never alone. Where each flower and sunrise takes on a deeper meaning because they are gifts from the divine towards us. Colours can be brighter and food tastier because they don't just come, at, come to us for our eyes and stomachs to consume, but for us to wonder at and be thankful for. To nurture life is to take the richness of life with Jesus, to enjoy it and wonder in it and to share that wonder. Not to keep it hidden away or neglect it like that third servant in the parable with his talent, but to collect baskets full of life's fruit and invite others to taste it too. So what might it look like for us to be a people who delight in life with Jesus and share it with others? And if there's one thing to take away from this talk, I'd encourage you to spend some time this week delighting in life with Jesus. And I also understand some of us not, might not feel like we're in a space with everything that's going on in our lives we might not feel like delighting in anything right now. Delighting in Jesus, in the life that Jesus gives, life with Jesus is not always easy. We talked about that before. Sometimes life is very, very hard. Delighting in life with Jesus doesn't mean pretending that's not true, but seeing how God is at work even in the darkest valleys even in our grief, even in our loneliness and our pain. As we ponder the gracious gift of life and the precious responsibility to continue choosing life, how about we pray to God? Let's give thanks to Him for life and ask for His Spirit's guidance. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for life. We thank you for giving us life to begin with, for creating life in the first place. Thank you that you have called us here, invited us into life with Jesus, a life that is unlike any other. And Lord God, we pray that you would give us... Uh, a, the courage and wisdom to see that the life you extend to us is far better than any life we can choose for ourselves. And Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we, we struggle to really believe that. So Lord, may you help us to believe that. May you help us to be a, a community, a family here that tell one another of how good you are and how, much, how, how rich life with you is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.